Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the show. The View from the Press Box here with Phil Hay from The Athletic. Dan here from The Square Ball. The show is brought to you by West Yorkshire Electrical. Wyelectrical.co.uk for details. They're also on socials. Um, specialists in all things electrical. Fully accredited. If it's got wires in it, they will work with it. Including solar panel installation, battery storage, EV chargers as well as they are specialists in renewables. School contracting, CCTV, security alarms, you name it, they do it. Uh, full details on the website. Wyelectrical.co.uk co.uk for details. Phil, hello. Uh, usual Monday get-together, you and I, and a fairly pleasant one, I think, this week because we went and absolutely roasted Cardiff at the weekend. So how was it for you? How was your journey, I'm interested in, in finding out, because it's a right old trek down to South Wales. Yeah, good and proper roasting. I would say that's the best trip I've ever had to Cardiff. I mean, the, the levels of competition for that are fairly low because we had some some really miserable trips down to, to Wales. But no, the drive was nice and steady, motorway there and back, clear roads. Um, I'm pleased you're concerned about my uh, my logistical movements. It was just, though, it was just all-round top performance from Leeds. It's strange with Cardiff. I watched them on the first day of the season at Ellen Road and and I know they, they were within a few seconds of winning that game, but I thought they were incredibly limited. And my initial impression of them on that day was that they were likely to be in trouble this season. And you had exactly the same impression from the game on Saturday. That was a very unhappy home crowd and I totally understood that. And you came away afterwards trying to decide whether Leeds, who who had been excellent, had made them look particularly bad or whether they were just actually as bad as they seemed and, and as limited as they seemed. And, and I suspect it was a little bit of both. And it's, a little, it's quite a surprise to see them where they are in the division and to think that they are virtually safe because they look like a side who, who could have been could have been swimming around the plug hole this season on the basis of what we've seen of them in the flesh. But Leeds were never in trouble. And I think the big thing for me on Saturday was that they avoided the pitfalls of, of previous away games and, and the failings of the, the games that they had lost, like West Brom and, and Preston, Stoke and, and Sunderland and others, and that they, they got ahead early on, which meant that, that Cardiff's really low block was apparently obsolete, although Cardiff seemed compelled to kind of stick with it all the way through the game, which was was very strange. But then a second goal, which really turned the screw and meant that, you know, in the second half, it was really about game management more than anything else. It should have been more than three. It could easily have been more than three. Um, the luxury of being able to miss that penalty. But I think, now I was listening to Farker afterwards saying that that was probably the most mature performance of the season. And I think that's right. And certainly away from home, it was very controlled and I have to say as well, I think probably the sort of result and performance that was needed after some of what had gone on during the week. And how much of the 
change in tack that we saw there in the away game, taking an away game by the scruff of the neck rather than being a little bit passive or awkward or however it is you might want to describe our some of our more recent away performances. How much of that do you put down to Patrick Bamford, who's quickly becoming like Renaissance man, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's made, he's I think he's having a big influence. I think that there's a, a definite difference being made by him at nine. His his runs in behind, his movement on Saturday was really difficult to manage in the way that it was against Birmingham as well. And it did feed into one of the pieces that I did last week, which was saying that when Bamford does get going, he does tend to get on a bit of a roll. And and that's three goals in three. For him, I think you would say that the, the finish on Saturday was very much the yin to the yang of, of that Puskas Award winner um, away at Peterborough. But it was still born of a, a lot of what Leeds do well. You know, Ruta's passing to Somerville, Somerville trying to go beyond the last man into kind of deep positions near the byline where, where he can cause havoc. The pace was killing Cardiff. Cardiff didn't seem to know how to to manage it. And what I found really strange with them was that they didn't seem to have much in the way of tactical adjustment after they went 1-0 down. The low block was still there. And, and that, I think, is why the home crowd were getting so tetchy towards the end of the, the first half, because it felt as if they were inviting leads on at a point when they were already 2-0 down. I, I, so I do think Bamford is, is making a big difference. I think Druev had his best game in the centre of midfield by a distance. Probably a good game for him to settle into because Cardiff were not great and they were they were pretty passive themselves. But we haven't seen a huge amount of Gruev this season. I do always think with him that he's someone who's come from the Bundesliga, someone who's played at a high, pretty high level with Werder Bremen. You did think in the Championship that even though he'd have to adapt to a different style and I guess a different level of intensity, and the Championship's pretty unique in, in the way that football is played out in it, you thought that he should be a really big asset. And I think playing like that, he definitely is. Yeah, what was the crowd like overall? Home fans, away fans, presumably the away, the away fans in good voice on a day that was there to be enjoyed, I think. Because uh, I, I bumped into a, a pal of mine, a guy called Peter, uh, on Friday, he was going down with his with his lad and they were getting up at like, you know, five or six in the morning or whatever the coach was setting off at six. And we were sort of exchanging the usual idea that it's it's a long way back from Cardiff when you lose. And I remember very, very starkly what it was like losing that playoff final and waiting for the train afterwards, just slumped on the platform thinking, oh, it's five hours back to back to Leeds now. With with the rain hammering off the roof. And the, the away end was as you'd you'd expect. Um it was quite a big home crowd on on Saturday. And I think it was a classic example of a game where there's nothing for the home crowd to invest in at all. I think they were I, I think they were, the realists among the Cardiff support will have seen and noticed that Cardiff were outmatched and that Leeds' superior quality was was definitely telling. But I, I definitely think that there were ways in which they could have been more aggressive, ways in which they could have mixed it up more. They didn't ever really look like scoring. There, there were just a couple of moments at 2-0 down um, in that kind of critical period, 75 minutes to 85 minutes, where they, you know, they had the odd chance. Um, and if a goal goes in at that point, you, you suddenly feel that you're going to get that scrambled finish in which a, you know what should be a, a, an easily banked win turns into a kind of ludicrous draw. But it didn't ever feel like it was going that way. And I think Leeds' presence of mind to finish it off, even after Somerville uh, missed the penalty, made it something pretty close to the complete performance, I thought. I did think it was really, really good. And I don't know, it was a, a difficult week for Farker because he, he had Ailing leaving. And you know my understanding with Ailing is that he, even a couple of weeks back, he was minded to stay and to see this season out. But I think... In the absence of a new contract coming his way, and particularly the absence of any significant minutes at Peterborough, I think he just found himself asking what role he was actually playing, other than you know, kind of that of a of a cheerleader. So the, the request of to to go to Middlesbrough after the Peterborough game really really stemmed from that. But you had the, the issue with Charlie Creswell also, and 
Fark is taking a, a hard line on that. And then he does seem a, like a disciplinarian in these scenarios. But it's hard for me to see a, a way in which this doesn't end with Creswell leaving. You know, you feel as if you've seen this dance before. And in the circumstances, the, the vibes you're getting are that Creswell definitely wants to go and that if there was the, the right offer or a suitable offer, then Leeds would let him. Um, the difficulty is that a huge amount of interest in him is coming from the championship. And, you know, you have to be strategic when it comes to to letting players go elsewhere and, and thinking about what they might do that might compromise your own season. And it seems evident that Leeds would not want him to go to another club who were, were in the mix with them um, in the championship. But when you have weeks like that and when you're making big decisions that some people will agree with, some people will disagree with, when it's kind of major, major stuff, it does seem pretty important to me that in the game that follows, the weekend that follows, you perform and you play in a way and you deliver a result, you know, at the, at the same time. It kind of vindicates a lot of what's what's been going on. I mean, if I think back, the sort of comparable situation almost, and not, not identical, but the, which springs to mind was the defeat to Sutton United under Gary Monk when, you know, played really poorly, picked a very, very odd team, which seemed like a very much kind of two fingers to the board who hadn't really delivered players in the transfer market at that point. Some odd comments afterwards about the transfer market. And we went to Blackburn midweek the following week and Leeds, Leeds nicked that game right at the very end. And you could really sense some relief with with Monk. And, and, you know, that kind of feeling that after what had happened at Sutton and after everything that was being said and the narrative around it, that it was important to to look like you were still in control and important to look like you were still kind of careering in the in the right direction. And I think that was very much the message from from Saturday. You know, if there was concern or angst or doubt about Ailing and you know and Creswell prior to it, I think it was one of those games that made it feel as if Farker knows what he's doing. Yeah, particularly in relation to Luke Ailing, there's an interesting counterpoint, isn't there, between the fact that uh, it was described as the most mature performance we've seen this season, and it, and it's hard to disagree with that. I would tend to agree with that. Yes. Uh, at the moment, when one of the the senior statesmen in the dressing room has has moved on, and you actually you highlight this point in your in your match report, so I will uh, defer to you on this one. Yeah, I, I I was looking back at the squad in 1920. You know, the last time Leeds went up, and it wasn't as if in that era Bielsa banked wholly on experience. You know, I was thinking about somebody like Neil Warnock, whose promotions over the years have very often been built on players who've been there and, and done it. You know, Leeds could, at, on occasions, could have exceptionally young bench. And it was always Bielsa's attitude that if there were players from the academy who could fill gaps or slots in his squad, then that's what should happen rather than recruitment externally, you know, and, and older, uh, kind of more proven players coming in. But even so, there was a really mature core in that dressing room. You know, Cooper, Dallas, Ailing, Cleek, even guys like Berardi. And I know Berardi could be hot-headed on the pitch, but he was an absolute stickler for discipline off the pitch um, and a very, very good, healthy presence in um, in the dressing room. It's different now and it's going to be different this season and it's going to be done differently because there is a much heavier weight on younger players and, and much heavier weight on youth producing what older players produced back then. And I guess it remains to be seen whether there comes a stage this season because Parker knows that as, as you get down to the sharp end, the pressure hikes up, you know, it, it gets more intense. So it remains to be seen whether or not there comes a period where they are missing people like Ailing, they are missing that that sort of influence, those sort of older heads that that keep everybody everybody level and keep the equilibrium steadier. I think though another point to make is that back in that season, nineteen twenty, a lot of the older players were playing. You know, the older heads were involved and heavily involved. That isn't the case now. You know, Ailing Ailing has had very few minutes certainly since um, you know things fell into place at the end of um, end of August. It's been kind of drift towards the fringes of the squad. 
Cooper is more involved, but is simply not playing much, you know, is, is not really at the forefront of this. And in those circumstances, I guess the influence that they can have becomes different because there'll be personal frustration about how little they're in the team. And as I said in a previous podcast, players like Ailing don't want to be cheerleaders. You know, they don't want to be babysitters. Um, I think he understood the role he could play as a kind of senior head in the squad. But I think from his point of view, that had to involve minutes from time to time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's interesting to draw a comparison with last season. And this season, it feels like Leeds are perhaps putting together or have put together the nucleus of a new core to this side. And I'm thinking in particular, Ethan Ampadu, still a very young man, but quite a seasoned pro for a young man, isn't he? And he's wearing the captain's armband at the weekend. Look back to last season, and eventually the, the figures that became prominent in that squad were the same ones who got us promoted, wasn't it? It was Cooper. I know Dallas, you know, has obviously been injured and so on, but um, that same core of players were still kind of trying to pull the club up by its bootstraps, if you like. And the, and the players that they brought in, many of which have gone out or were supplemented um, into the squad post-promotion, never really formed a core group, did they? Never exerted much influence either on the pitch or off it, I suppose it looks like. And you were you were left with a sort of a core of young players as well. And I'm thinking this is how Willie Nonto came to, the, to prominence last season and his burst of form. Still a very young man. He was a teenager at this point. So you had the kind of old guard that was sort of peripheral and in the process of being replaced. The young players sort of picking up the slack at the bottom end and then not a right lot in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to pretend that the squad doesn't have any experience in it. And you had Bamford starting up front and, you know, now back into a little bit of form. But again, you know, similar to the kind of involvement of Cooper and, and Ailing, it's taken until January for that to happen. And that is partly down to, to injury. But I think early in the season, Ruter and, and Pirro had kind of established the pecking order and, and were very much Farkas' um, first picks in, in those those positions. They've, they've set themselves up nicely this season, I think. They've given themselves a... a a proper chance by doing what they've done in the transfer market. The, the division is not helping because of the way it is. And it was a really, really big win for Ipswich against Sunderland, I felt. You know, that was a, a result they, they really needed. But that's Leeds past 50 points now, with 27 games gone and, and 19 to go. So 
you know, I think where they would have envisaged being when the season the season started. You're right about them creating a new crop and some really good, you know, top level championship players in there in, in Rodon and Ampadu and others. The weird thing, and this is a much broader point, and we have touched on it before, is even though you try to create this new core and this new kind of group that can develop and grow and, and get older, the problem in front of you is that if it works out and, and it goes to plan, you then have that massive bridge to cross, which is the championship to the Premier League, which asks a huge amount of players, does expose those who aren't quite good enough in the Premier League. And for certain clubs, forces a fairly major overhaul of the squad. And I think if Leeds do go up, it's quite sad to say this, but they're going to have to have to make you know, tough decisions about some players who've done a great job for them in the championship, but then decide whether they're right for the, the Premier League. And I think anybody who goes up this season, I think it applies to Leicester, Southampton as well, will have to recruit heavily to make sure that they're okay for the Premier League. Yeah, it's what Angus Kinnear has said to us before when he's come in and, um, and spoken to us before the start of each season is that actually the, the difficulty in those first three seasons, and it's why he's always highlighted the fact that there's a high statistical chance of you going down inside your first three seasons is because you just cannot evolve the squad fast enough. You know, you can't spend, you just physically cannot spend the money. Um, it's quite hard to do, you know, short of coming up and chucking, I don't know, half a bill at, at it or something like that. So it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, and then you get players who get promoted on high wages who you then struggle to offload back down to the championship. It's one of those problems, I guess, we've got to worry about when we're further down the line. I think we, we caught ourselves yeah. doing this last week, didn't we, talking about like the next step in the road. But I just, I'm just interested in us getting promoted this season if it's all the same to you. And I'm quite, you know, do you know what? I'm quite enjoying myself still. I'm not letting the nerves creep in. I think it helps having a game like that one at the weekend because um, my wife was nice enough to buy me an Apple Watch for Christmas. God bless her. Just another thing to play with to keep keep you quiet, I think. And I'd looked at my heart rate for that game because I'm just curious because it's one of the new ones, you know, it tracks it. Never never rose above 70, above 76 at the weekend, Phil, which tells you a lot about that game, doesn't it? Do you know what I got for Christmas from my wife? Go on. An iron brew clock. Right. It's ace, actually. Yeah. Love it. Um, but it wasn't an Apple Watch. I'll right. put it that way. But sim- similar theme, um, I suspect slightly less cost. Um, oh, it was, it was classic, let's not get each other anything territory, and then she gets me that. And then she gets you an Apple yeah. Watch while you've you've kind of followed the rules yeah <laughs> rules are rules yeah. spoken like a true Scotsman yeah. absolutely yeah um, I came away from Cardiff as well thinking you know and irrespective of what we've just said about you know the jump from the championship to the Premier League and whether who you know who will be good enough for that there have been a lot of high performing players in this Leeds squad this season particularly those who've played really regularly I didn't think Somerville had his best day at all on Saturday, but still those moments where he's such a handful that he's really difficult to manage and, and defences start to panic when he's he's getting in behind. Ruta, I think the combination of Ruta and Bamford looks really good. And I, I do wonder whether it is starting to bring the best out of Ruta when it comes to passing and, and pulling the strings at 10. But Ampadu, I mean... Again, a good game for this to have Ampadu and Rodon at centre-back because they weren't under a huge amount of pressure. But they didn't let themselves come under a huge amount of pressure. And he just Ampadu just seems to manage things well, whether he's 10, 15 yards in front of the defence or whether he's at centre-back. And I think, again, for £7 million, somebody who's able to slot into either position so well is great value. You know, really, really good signing that one. And probably, probably at this stage, the, the signing of, of the summer, even allowing for the fact that, you know, Byram on a free transfer has been really good value as well. Just on Somerville, um, I made that exact point on the match ball when we did that on the live stream at the weekend, sort of saying, it wasn't his best day, was it? I mean, he was only involved in the two goals, you know, and he, and he missed the penalty, but he was not quite, you know, he wasn't his usual high self, was he? I think he's 
one of our highest scoring players statistically. Like if you look at FotMob or whatever, he's he's averaging really high for the season. So maybe yeah. maybe it was a it was a seven out of ten rather than an eight or a nine. But even still, if those are the bad days, as I said on the the, the match ball stream, if those are the bad days and you still come out winning three nil at an absolute canter, you can't really complain too much, can you? It's uh, it's all gravy. Well, that's it. And, but you cannot pretend that he didn't make a difference in those. I, I know, I know the, the kind of assists go to him, but it, it's the perseverance, isn't it? And it's the trickery, and it's the it's the, the the kind of click of the fingers chaos that makes defenders think, "Wait a minute, we don't know what to do here." And everybody starts to panic. People get out of position, and what you find is you've got Bamford, who, even though he's lying on the ground, is just free to to prod prod that in. Um, another goal for for Dan James as well. I think one of my favourite parts of, of Saturday's game was trying to work out how it was that James came out of that challenge with the ball <laughs> for the third goal. Yeah. It seemed as if he was going to get killed by about three people and then all of a sudden was just careering away into the, the Cardiff half. Having, it's, you know, it, it's glorious watching it back, Phil. I've watched that on replay like along with the rest of the highlights a number of times now. And when you see it happening, don't you? The three of them all like converging yeah. on this one spot on the pitch and you go, go on, can you nick that away? Oh, he's he's going to get there, and then they both panic to the defenders and just clatter into each other. It's it's an absolute work of art. It was like Welsh rugby, really, where you know you got a winger who's about to get absolutely smashed by three people, but somehow um, slips out of it. And I don't think even James knew quite how the ball had, had come out of that. But again, in that position, Leeds have so much pace going forward that as soon as you're exposed like that, you're in huge trouble. And that was a quality goal. Actually, it was a lovely step over from Bamford and a really good finish from Ruta, who I think you know definitely needs goals just to keep him keep him ticking over he's doing a lot right and I think if he was bang on it would have scored more than he than he has this season but he's been a big influence from the start Ruter, and I think in the story of this season will be will be absolutely crucial at the end of it too he's just great fun I absolutely adore watching yeah. him I just as, as a young man having the time of his life I look on it with sort of it's a weird like paternal pride if you like where I got he's just having such a nice time um even in the celebration you know having the presence of mind to do that for Luke Ayling it, it feels like he's really I don't know, immersed himself in, in what makes the, the the fans tick in relation to the club. I think the awful thing about last season, particularly from the sort of Somerville winner at Liverpool onwards, was that so few people seem to be enjoying it in any way. And you can see that in a player's body language. And the, the thing that always jumps to mind is sitting in the press box, watching them in front of that away end at Bournemouth with no idea of what to do, not really wanting to be there because you're horribly exposed and it's all... It's all going wrong. And it is nice to see a bit of joy in the football. I think there has been plenty this season. I think a lot has been right this season. It's, it's not been perfect and definitely you know aspects of it that you can you can pick fault with and pick holes in. And, and that was certainly the case away from home and um, prior to the, the turn of the year. But that performance on, on Saturday, and I think you do have to factor in how, how poor and limited Cardiff looked. But even so, you know, that performance on Saturday felt as if it had addressed some of what had gone on in previous away games and it did seem as if there was a concerted effort to to do it differently and as soon as the first goal went in you did think to yourself well this changes it significantly because Cardiff are going to have to commit now which Cardiff never really did and I think that more than anything rather than the defeat itself was why the home crowd were so unhappy about it Just returning to an earlier point Phil we were talking about the almost seemingly inevitable departure of, of Charlie Creswell at, at this stage you get the sense now that there's a little bit of momentum starting to build in terms of Leeds doing something in the market because we're now middle of the month. Two weeks left to get stuff done. It feels like there's a little bit of a head of steam perhaps just building up. I'd be really surprised if they don't. And given the situation Creswell's in, I see no alternative but to, to find 
another centre back or to find another player, whether it's a, a full back who can play at centre back, you know, something that that covers that gap. Because it was very, very explicit on Thursday when we we sat in with with Farker, and he does do this from time to time. But the the Creswell question had almost become a little bit like the Joe Pirro um, at ten question, where it was getting asked and it was in the background, and you know everybody was kind of thinking about it. It wasn't you know front and centre necessarily, but there always was that thing of you know what what is happening with with Creswell, particularly after he didn't feature at Peterborough, and it seemed like on Thursday Farker just decided to himself right. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out and I'm gonna tell you exactly how it is and then you all know and we go from there. And the bottom line is that for the foreseeable future, Creswell is not gonna be not only is he not gonna play, he's not gonna be involved. And in those circumstances, said you, you kind of feel like you've seen this dance before, that that he he's likely to go. That that is how these these situations usually end. And it did seem as well, like Farker was saying, in order for this to turn around. Creswell is going to have to come to him and basically say, I'm going to 100% knuckle down. Because the thing that Farker was taking most issue with wasn't his professionalism in terms of you know timing, turning up when he should turn up, which was an issue with, with Jed Spence. He, he basically said, when we are travelling away from home or, you know, around about games, I see in his body language, you know, a quite deflated character, somebody who isn't focused, somebody who is pretty frustrated about what's going on. And I think almost that thing of, you know, does he does he really want to to be here and does he really want to be involved? And clearly Farker's view on that is that at the moment, no, he doesn't. So this isn't going to resolve itself. You know, it, there's going to have to be a decision taken one way or the other. But Farker is, is adamant on having four centre-backs in the squad. So if, if Creswell isn't involved, that leaves room for, for another one. And I think at right back, there was never the plan this month for both Spence and Ailing to go. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, you would have assumed that both would have stayed. But circumstances have dictated that. And and in a way, you almost feel like right back has become as important as left back because of what's happened in the in the past fortnight. But it seems pretty obvious to me where where the main focus needs to be. And, and while you know I can I can certainly see scope and, and merit in looking for somebody in the attacking midfield area, another another kind of 10, I think it, the most prudent thing to do if Leeds are going to do anything is to strengthen what's at the back. The number 10 thing has almost resolved itself with Bamford returning to form up front, hasn't it? And Ruta being able to drop in behind him. That that said, if there's an opportunity to do something, I'd like us to do it. But yeah, I agree that the more pressing issue is definitely at the back, isn't it? And I was just going to ask you, actually, it's something you've sort of, you touched on a little bit earlier in the show. For such a softly spoken character, Daniel Farker doesn't take much shit, does he? He, he always puts no. the interests of the club absolutely at the top. Well, I think this is the the point that he was trying to make about both Ailing and and Creswell was that it it he wasn't minded to make decisions on the basis of what they they wanted personally. I think with Ailing, you have to say that asking him to stick around in a sort of cheerleader role, kind of you know, a parental role if you want to put it like that, is maybe asking a bit too much of him. If you aren't going to play him and you aren't going to um, use him at Peterborough. I think you probably have to face facts and say, you know, if if he's looking to go elsewhere, then we we need to facilitate that because otherwise, what are you asking of him? You're basically asking him to burn six months of a career where he's already 32 and, and getting into the, the back end of it. Creswell, I think, is different. And and that is, seems to me to be, you know, it's like classic age old battle, isn't it? Of player and manager who's in charge. And managers who aren't in charge never last long. They simply don't. I mean, if you if you ever talk to Brian McDermott about the back end of his time as manager when he'd been sacked and then reinstated 
and the players knew he'd been sacked and reinstated. And those who weren't keen on him or those who weren't big on him, you know, became less and less helpful, um, became kind of less and less committed in the dressing room. He always says he could feel that and he could sense it, but there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. He just knew that in the end, he was likely to get sacked by Cellino anyway and was, but in the end it was going to cost him because, you know, you, you start to, to lose control. You used to see it with Ferguson at Manchester United. You see it with Guardiola um, at Manchester City. Um, we'll take what look like fairly controversial decisions when they think it's it's in their interest to do that, you know, even if it costs them some pretty good players in, in the process. And yeah, you're right. I mean, we saw it with Nonto in the summer too. You know, it was exactly the same thing of you're not going to train with us, you're not going to play until you make a decision one way or the other. And I think that that kind of set the tone. And between Spence and, and Creswell in particular, I feel, I think Ailing's slightly different. Um, he, he, you know, goes with everybody's everybody's good wishes. But between Spence and Creswell, you you kind of seeing who who's in charge and who runs the show. Just made me wonder, particularly because he's been flapping his gums a lot this week, um, Jesse Marsh, whether he had full control over that dressing room or whether he's trying to be pals with them all last season. But I suppose it's not, not even our problem anymore, is it? No, no, not especially. Um, I mean, I don't think in any way, certainly towards the, the end of the season, you didn't feel as if it was a, a dressing room that was blessed with great leadership or great resilience um, either. And I, and I think that is that is different now. It's a fine balance because you have to be careful not to upset players at the same time. And I don't mean individuals, I mean players en masse. And players en masse at a club like Leeds and in a dressing room like this one at the moment would want to see somebody like Ailing in particular managed properly and, and managed fairly and, and managed appropriately and looked after on the basis of seven and a half years of really, really, you know, top service. It's different with somebody like Spence, for example, and I guess it's different with somebody like Creswell. As soon as it looks like you're making allowances or as soon as it looks like you're weakening slightly um, in terms of discipline or or authority, it can cause you problems very quickly. Have you been enjoying Jesse's podcast um, appearances lately, Phil? I had a good listen um, to the Simon Jordan one. went all the way through. Um, I would say there was some in it, that some things in it I disagreed with. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've kind of been over this ground many times, haven't we? What was it that you disagreed with? <laughs> I think I think the point in particular that jumped out was the argument about games in hand when they were 17th and XG and everything else. And if you're being totally fair, you would say that there were points in the season where the stats or the data certainly indicated, indicated that Leeds should have had more points um, than they, they actually did or should have been in a better league position than, than they actually were. But there are also stats that pointed to huge problems. And one of them, we dug it out for our um, end of year review. Is it that we kept losing? Well, keeping losing wasn't um, particularly good. Um, but it was also, it was the number of big chances that were given away. You know, defensively, they were just not there um, and they, they were not sound as a team. And I think, I, I'm very much a believer in data and I understand the role it plays and I understand the difference it makes and why you have to pay attention to it. But there always comes a point, doesn't there, where what is happening on the grass and the actual results outweigh what you're seeing in the data. Well, on the grass, it's Preston at the weekend. So we'll get back together towards the, the end of the week then, shall we? And uh, we will preview that. We will be ahead of the press conference just for, for timing reasons. So we won't be able to follow up on what Farker said at the end of the week. But yeah, at least it's a shorter journey, albeit um, it's a stupid early kickoff on a Sunday. Yeah, it's not great, is it? I mean, I think Leeds, more, more often than not now, are going to find a lot of fixtures move because we're hitting that point of the season where Sky are going to want to televise the games that, that really matter. But it's a winnable game. Um, I think it'd be a very different game to the game at Deepdale. And again, frustration over the weekend is that just as Ipswich have been out of form and Leeds put that performance in at, um, at Cardiff, Ipswich come up with 
with that victory over Sunderland in a really difficult, good game actually. I watched the first half before getting back in the car. It was it was proper entertaining, but that's a that's big result for them. It is, but I'm looking ahead to next Monday night and we can chat about this towards the back end of the week. But uh, Monday, the 22nd of January, 8 o'clock kickoff, Leicester City against Ipswich Town. That's fascinating. Very much so. Very much so. Right, I'll speak to you later in the week, Phil. All right. Thanks, Dan. The Square Ball Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.